1: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit com
0: slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's
1: com slash Wondery.
2: Welcome to Episode 216 with my guest, John H. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Honesty about all the battles in our heads for medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the website for this show is mentalpod.com. Go there, check it out, fill out a survey, read a blog, join the forum, uh, support the show financially, uh, or as I like to say, put your thumb up your ass and stare out the window. Um just to give you an update, uh, last episode, uh, I was going through withdrawal uh, off of Abilify, and it was a nightmare. Uh, the nightmare is kind of continuing, uh, not as bad as it was. The anxiety has decreased uh, uh, a fair amount, but the uh, just that feeling of my brain being a big bowl of scrambled gray eggs is is kind of their conversation um with the exception of i had about a six hour window where i conversing was easy and my wife and i went out to dinner and it was really nice and i thought i was over the hump and then i woke up the next day and it's it's kind of back but i did go and see my psychiatrist and we're going to try going back on mirtazapine and see if that works um because that helps me get to sleep and um I'm having trouble talking about this right now because I feel like it's boring. I feel like there's kind of no point to it. And uh, just to paint a picture for you, um, I'm I'm in my underwear. I'm wearing dark dress socks, and my belly is distended because I'm depressed and constipated. So if you need to go grab a vibrator, now would be the time. Um, it. I I guess the reason I want to talk about what it is that i'm going through a i'm a narcissist but b i know there are people out there that and and thank you for the the support uh that you guys gave me even though i wasn't looking for it when i shared that last week and said i'm not looking i'm not looking for sympathy i just kind of want to tell my truth about where i'm at with with my depression right now um i guess what i want to talk about is what do you do when nothing is working, when you're in that dark spot, when you're in that dark hole, and just even getting through the next hour feels like why should I not kill myself? Why should I stay alive? If this if there's no relief in sight. Well, the first thing is I've been through this up and down cycle enough to know it it does eventually go away. It's a fucking pain in the ass. I usually have to go see my psychiatrist a couple of times, uh, try some med that doesn't work, that has horrible side effects. Maybe I feel even worse for a time. Um, I have to take a lot of naps. I have to cancel things. Uh, I have to apologize for um, conversations that I just, where I space out in the middle of it. Um, So, I know that 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 stuff is a part of it but how how do you keep going when that is as good as your day gets and the place that I go to and I talked about this early on the podcast when I first started doing it is and this has been bringing me comfort is um, my relationship with my belief in a higher power God whatever you want to call it I believe that there's love in the universe. And there's positive energy. You know, I don't believe the dude in the sky with the beard um, that's a conscious entity. But I believe in love as a universal law, just like gravity. And that when we submit or surrender to what is, we can kind of feed off that stream of positivity. And to me, God isn't a, oh, well, I won the lottery, so God loves me, or I didn't win the lottery, so God doesn't care about me. For me, it's what is, will be. But for me, God is always there for me to gain comfort from. I don't know how the world works. I don't know what is God's will and what isn't, but I do know that there is an energy in the universe that comforts me when I'm hurting, when I'm in pain, when I'm sad, when I'm lonely, when I'm beginning to feel a lack of hope in my life, which is where I've been for, for the last month. And I think I, I reached a deeper level of surrender to what is, and I began to feel some comfort from that. And to me, that's the the, the presence of of God. It's always been there. It always will be there. It's just whether or not I want to let my ego down enough to accept that this is my lot in life. And on some days, my lot in life is very easy to accept. And some days, my lot in life is really fucking hard to accept. Um, and that gets me through it. And that's why I'm such a believer in some type of spirituality some type of something that gets you out of yourself because if all i have is the perspective of me and my suffering i i can't get through it because i don't see a point to it but when i bring love into the picture and trying to connect to others even if it's awkward and i don't want to do it i get an email from somebody who says i'm feeling the exact same thing you brought me comfort that to me is God. That's my version of what God is. And so I've been really, really having to connect um, to my God in the in this last, really these last four days because I don't want to, I don't want to die. I don't want to kill myself. And I'm not, I don't say that to be dramatic. Um, but when it's day after day after day of, Difficulty conversing and not getting joy out of anything. um, There's something's got to give. And I hope anybody out there that is listening to this, A, is still listening, didn't hear the word God and go, oh, I don't want to hear this windbag. And I hope you know that there is always the stream of love in the universe that you can connect to. And for me, it's one with science. It's not. It doesn't have anything to do with um, religion. It's like I said. It's energy. I, I'm now. I'm beginning to repeat myself, but I wanted to kind of um, share. How I deal with it when I when I feel like I'm bottoming out, and and I, and and it keeps me from losing. It keeps me from losing hope because that comfort, that feeling, I get when I when I let go, and I say, okay, maybe I am going to feel this way the rest of my life. Um, let's see what happens. Let's stop flailing around in the water and just float. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's really hard putting my thoughts together. (sighs) This is Struggle in a Sentence, and this is filled out by Terry. And about uh, her anxiety, she writes, Anxiety is apologizing to someone for years about spilling ranch dressing on their suede leather coat in seventh grade. This is filled out by a Callie, who I believe filled out one about uh, traumatic brain injury on our previous episode. About her anxiety, she writes, what do I do? What do I say? Am I acting like a passable human being? About uh, her disordered eating, she writes, obsessed with the way in which I consume food. It's miserable to chew when I don't allow my teeth to touch. About her PTSD, waking nightmares. Every flash of the sun off a window is the muscle-tightening stomach punch moment before a collision. And about her traumatic brain injury, she writes, I don't know who I am anymore, and it's going to be like this or worse until I die. Uh, snapshot from her live, she writes, TBI, uh, traumatic brain injury, has robbed me of my identity. I can't remember who I was or connect with the girl who existed before I woke up in that hospital bed. The most common argument my girlfriend and I have involves some version of, can't you see how your actions affect other people? The answer is no, not anymore. It's beyond frustrating. Nothing I could ever say would explain what it feels like and how absolutely exhausting it is to be constantly thinking about how to function. And so I become even more apathetic. Well, we're sending you some love, Kelly. Uh, This is filled out by uh, Pink Lethit Lethat. Uh, And about uh, her bipolar disorder, she writes, My whole life I've been trapped in a snow globe, separated from the world, and sometimes your world gets shaken by some outside force. And then this is from a guy who calls himself "Whackass Jackass, and uh, love that name. About his depression, he writes, It feels like hell, sucking all the good, happy juice out of my skin. That's a great one. Uh, About his anxiety, it makes me shut down, throw up my hands, and pretend nothing bad is happening. About his love addiction, I need to be loved, lusted after, pursued, and hungered for. About his sex addiction, I feel powerful, sexy, and yet cheap and disgusting. About his codependency, I feel burdened by the need to please everyone. I wish they'd go away and yet make me feel better. Oh my God, do I relate to that one about his PTSD, I want to die, I want to kill, about being a sex crime victim, I want to beat my brother to death, and yet I want him to love me, this guy would be an amazing guest, Um, about living with an abuser, he writes, every memory of her is tainted and vile, like her poison dripped on everything, Uh, about his anger issues, I feel powerful and yet childish, I'm no good, And a snapshot from his life. I'm sitting on the bed with a dick that doesn't work, hating myself and wishing she would go away or hold me and rub my back and tell me everything's fine. My God,
0: somebody does what I've been doing. You're ashamed. You
2: have boundary issues.
0: I feel guilty for hating my mom.
1: I will be high
2: by four PM. You feel helpless. I will be in hell by four fifteen. Prison was not easy.
1: Reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just, I
0: surrender. I think I was 28 and that was the first time I ever experienced that and it was amazing.
2: I'm here with John H., uh, who is a listener. He's in town. His uh, girlfriend Zoe is, uh, is here sitting in the corner. Um... You had emailed me and some of the issues that you uh, deal with, uh, general anxiety disorder, Um, you were in an abusive relationship with a mentally ill uh, wife for a while. You're out of that now. Mm. Um, Grandchild of Holocaust survivors. Yeah. Um, You said that a little too (laughs) giddily. Well, you know. If you can't, if you can't uh, deflect it in some way, how are you gonna how are you gonna deal with you it? Just, when it's something that big, yeah. how do you not make a uh, joke? To, the Holocaust uh, you, is just you,
1: such like a normal part of my like family discourse that it's, uh, at some point you feel like you're not talking about anything but the Holocaust, and every 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 road leads back to the Holocaust.
2: It's interesting that you say that yeah. because the episode that we did, did you listen to the episode we did with uh, offspring of Holocaust survivors? You know what? I downloaded it. Meant to listen to it, failed. Uh, Dr. Joel Schwartz, Mm -hmm. uh, who is the grandchild of uh, Survivors, says that he and his uh, siblings have a bet when they, I think he said his siblings, have a bet when the family gets together about how long it will be until somebody brings up the Holocaust.
1: It's not us that bring up the Holocaust. Like, sort of, like, just when they're there, because they were both alive until very recently, and now it's just my grandmother... And, um, they'll, they'll like very, they're very quick to like bring up the Holocaust. Like they like to say that, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mahmoud Adinajad. Like he's going to bring about the second Holocaust. Like there's going to be another Holocaust. There could be another Holocaust. They don't, there are things they don't like as a result of it. They're, they have, they have their own set of like very intense anxieties. Um, for example, my uncle is Orthodox Jewish And he has the beard and the dress of an Orthodox Jewish man and his family dresses that way and the whole thing. Uh, And their anxiety was that back in uh, Poland, well, technically Ukraine, but, you know, all the borders are. Anyway, uh, back in um, their home village, like, they saw every Orthodox Jewish person die. Because if you were out about it in any kind of way and you weren't flexible... uh, by which I mean, like, progressive or, or like, aware of the way that the secular world worked, you weren't going to be able to blend in enough to escape. Like, they escaped. They had this incredible... uh, There's this incredible uh, story of how they escaped the Nazis that involves walking from what would be the present-day Polish-Ukrainian border to Moscow. Um, And because... um, they're, they, not like fearless, but because they were operating on such a high level of intelligence and bravery and, you know, there were times that they got lucky, all the kind of elements of like a, a really insane adventure story, uh, like a very terrible adventure story. Um, they were able to... Like, learn – what they claim, like, they, they could lay down in a in a field by the well where the women would draw water. So, you have these, like, tiny Eastern European villages. They could lie down, listen to the local dialect, um, mimic it well enough that nobody would be suspicious that they hadn't come from somewhere they weren't supposed to be. And then they could just kind of, like, pass through, if not perfectly unnoticed, then enough to, like, that nobody would, you know, shoot them in the head. Wow. Yeah. Um, that story is just incredibly complicated. There's elements to it basically they but what I was saying was they don't like the fact that my uncle and because my uncle has six children uh and a wife and everything, and they don't like the fact that he is so out about it because that to them is just like saying drawing attention, yeah, just play, putting a yes. target on your head, yeah,
2: so uh. So, where would be a good place to, to start with your story? Let's talk. Uh, let's let's start off with the the generalized anxiety disorder that's that's been diagnosed. GAD. Um, yeah. Well, that's what
1: it says when you get a piece of paper with yeah. your prescription on it, uh, with your uh, prescription, your diagnosis on it. GAD. Um, generalized anxiety disorder. It can take on a lot of forms. Uh, generalized anxiety disorder is like is like you it's a sort of an umbrella term you could have anxiety that's uh socially related or anxiety that's um i don't know what are other like one of the mill anxieties you your my co- your
2: cock isn't big enough. yeah
1: my uh the 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 size of your cock apologies zoe your your weird uh foot things if you if you like spend a lot of time and energy um how about if
2: your cock is shaped like a foot? If That's you're co- a bad if you're, one. Yeah, if, co-
1: if your cock is shaped like a foot and has like like the five points, just mm-hmm. sort of.
2: Well, the bad thing about that is you always have to just buy one shoe, which right. is just a waste of money.
1: And my cock has a nail, has an actual toenail on it.
2: So. <laughs> Actually, a friend of mine used to do a joke about that. He said, "He said, uh, he said my dick is so small it has a nail, uh, a nail on it." Right. Uh, Rich Brown, throwing a shout out to Rich Brown, one of the one of the best joke writers uh, ever. In fact, he has a joke that uh, I wrestled in high school. I wasn't very good. I usually only lasted until I came. <laughs>
1: you know. I was also on the wrestling team for like five minutes in high school, and there was a like a sort of like off the books maneuver that they call checking the oil, which <laughs> is where they take a thumb just like wrenching up uh, another guy's ass, and oh uh, just God. to and they try to do it in such a way that like if his ass is turned away from the referee, you yeah. know, they're like if I get my thumb up his ass,
2: we'll throw his game off. He'll forget his. That is a commitment to sport. That is, or a...
1: or just a deeply repressed longing coming out you know sort of like in the greek olympic sense or, or something yeah.
2: Yeah. So so uh, your generalized anxiety disorder um, yeah i sorry i you know i i love to take forks in the road just when a guest gets going with a an inappropriate joke no so i can it, reflect it, all it can, day it, long please, it can it, it please. can express itself in 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 different ways you're yeah, yeah. saying
1: mm. you can have anxiety that over anything, I mean, over anything. But and I want
2: to talk about you particularly, my, specifically. Talk my anxiety, about
1: I think, I've I've met a lot of people who have this kind of anxiety. Um, is I am afraid that I don't understand the context of any given social situation. So, example, I'm at a gathering, not even like let's say a party, but just like a gathering, even of people that I know. I'm going to begin to speak very quickly i can feel my heart rate um escalate i can't hear things that people are saying like i literally um
2: i have like a small is is it because you're talking or or you just your ears kind of there's a, a they just kind of go
1: deaf. Well, here's the thing. When I was young, I was told that I have a slight learning disability that focus that is, has something to do with, like, if you're in a room, if I'm in a crowded room with people, like, singling out a single noise, like, discerning a single noise from within mm-hmm. the thing uh, is difficult for me. Like, I'll hear it at a, at a delay. Um, but what I've noticed is that when I'm anxious, like, what people are saying, it seems to go, like, farther and farther away from me. So, I'm it feels like I'm spending more energy just not to scream than do anything else. I- I'm just standing there trying to like comprehend uh, just any kind of situation becomes a difficult situation. So there's just anxiety about being in public, what I'm saying, how it's being interpreted. And so what I'll do often is like, I'll ask someone, like I'll have a conversation with somebody. If somebody else is there that I trust, uh a lot i'll be like did i insult that person that's a big one with me mm-hmm. i will be like did i insult paul by bringing up like cock nails it's a constant struggle
2: to like so you doubt yeah you i d- doubt myself you constantly. doubt your own integrity
1: N- not uh, integrity is one thing just perception i don't trust myself to know i see that I didn't just deeply offend someone just yeah. in the course of, and that, and, and, and that can be comp, that can be like a, like your perception of somebody else's mood. Like they could have be, they could be upset about anything or tired or bored or not a person who like is given to expressive facial things. So they could just kind of, you know, give you a sense that they're not interested in you. But then like, did you this and this, this kind of thinking is it's a form of like, it's like it's just a developed all-encompassing paranoia but at some point you're spending all of your energy worrying about uh what's in my bank account and even even when you're like financially stable just like did i if 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 i didn't transfer enough money for my savings to this am i going to overdraw the thing um did i leave the oven on so you're a worry machine just you're just a well-oiled worry machine pounded out anything any if i'm not medicated
2: anything anything have you has it ever been suggested that you are on the autism spectrum by like everyone okay yeah well i've noted you just made eye contact for the first time since we we started talking and we are 10 minutes in hi yeah (laughs) yeah um how does that how does what does it bring up any feelings when when somebody uh says that our discussion of my
1: potential autism is delicate a i came from like a relatively I don't like to say that I'm autistic or even, like, high-functioning autistic. The reason I don't like to say it is because it of it insults people who, like, have the diagnosis and then I don't want to, like, insert myself into their thing just so I can join some kind of, like, pity party in my own head. That's one thing I don't want to do. I don't want to, like, inadvertently insult anybody who, like, legitimately has the diagnosis, uh, some of whom I know. Uh, two, I feel like I came from a background where enough medical care was, like, available to me. Like, I, you know, came from, a like, East Coast, whatever, well-to-do background. And medical care was there. Like, things were provided to me. So if I had some kind of high-functioning autism, I feel like, wouldn't I have been diagnosed as a child? I don't know. Because mm-hmm. I had a mother who was very, like, she had this attitude that she knew better than the doctor. Like, she knows what her kids need. And if her kids are weird, it's just because they're weird. Like and she would say things like, "Well, it takes all types to make the world go round," and that kind of attitude. I don't want to say it like bit her in the ass, but then she had a daughter who's bipolar one and a son who's like severely anxious and you being that social. you being that I'm son. the son, yeah. yeah.
2: And yeah. and and I too hope I didn't insult uh, anybody on the autism spectrum or come across as as trying to be know it all but you know one of the things i hope i I create with the podcast is an environment that that's safe enough to um ask questions that uh maybe we don't ask in in our typical conversations at a cocktail party or at a at a coffee shop um and i think you being familiar with the show you know that Mm. i'm i'm coming from a place of um Coming from a good place in, yeah. in, in No, absolutely. About
1: that. I wasn't uh, accusing you of anything. What I was doing was I was saying for myself, I've been told a number of times that I was on the spectrum, um, most loudly <laughs> by my ex wife, um, who I think tried to convince me of my autism to further her own. It's sort of like uh, she would have the she would approach things in a certain way to like build a case for herself, so that I could never, not only like win an argument but like make a point that was
2: valid. Would she before she made that point would she say, "Can I approach the bench"? <laughs> which is always a giveaway. Yeah, yeah, building yeah. building yeah. a case.
1: No, really. Uh she actually like one of her proudest that she That's funny you should say that because one of her like uh major one of the major things she did that she was really proud of when she was uh younger was this uh mock trial, you know, mock trial high school mm-hmm. mock trial. And so she liked to pretend that she was like Sam Waterson, but she would take an adversarial approach to everything, including just conversations. So Everything had to be equal. It was very, it was very complicated. Like everything had to be. If she did something bad, you could get her to admit it, but then she would begin to look for something bad you did because there couldn't be, there couldn't be just an expression of guilt. Like I'm sorry was only happened like f- five or six times ever. So,
2: so yeah. basically, a yeah. criticism machine worked, lived with a worry machine. Yeah, how did that go bad? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> who would have who would have guessed that that would have broken bad? That sounds to me like a marriage made in heaven. Yeah, that's what everybody thought. It's um I, I say you throw in a special needs child, uh,
1: maybe you live next to a polluted river. Right, at the beginning of the marriage I was the special needs child. Then later she became the she <laughs> she took the mantle from me. We 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 took turns like completely falling
2: apart. How old are you now? 25. And how old were you when you got married and how old were you when you got divorced? 22 and 23. Oh, okay. So it was a short lived, uh,
1: Yeah, Well, I didn't make the mistake quickly because there was four years of dating
2: and a year of marriage. Did anything change when it turned to marriage? Were you living with each other before you were married?
1: You know, marriage is, you can, if everybody sort of agrees that the marriage has gone to hell, it's one thing to get out of it. But uh, buying a house, such a bad idea, uh, for two people who are, mentally ill or not in love or whatever or, or at local. least not
2: working towards a solution or and we were co- joint coping the thing was because there's lots of loving yeah. relationships where one or both people um have issues that they're that they're working through but fuck you know relationships are a struggle to begin with right. um you know i had a therapy session today with uh with my therapist and I left it just feeling I wouldn't say that he let the air out of some of my expectations about relationships um, but he kind of did and it, it kind of made me sad and uh, while I want to be realistic about what I can expect in a relationship working very hard towards having us grow together, Mm. it was, um, he was basically saying, if you get two out of three things that are really important to you in a relationship, you're lucky. And I was just, it made me sad. It made me really sad, but I I, I don't want to. Yeah, um, I I know
1: where you're going with that. It's one thing to, like, get two or three things out of a relationship and have those things be, like, an ongoing well that you can draw from like oh she makes me laugh or something like that and that's like an ongoing thing the problem is the stuff i got out of this relationship with my ex-wife the benefit of it ended in six months like everything i really needed
2: from the relationship got it in the first six months was it was left afterwards was it the uh was there a, a, a phase where the newness of it was exci- exciting and kind of masked the the stuff that would come up later, or was it just that uh, it wasn't camouflage? Because I think for a lot of people, there's an exciting phase in the beginning, the newness of it, that can almost anesthetize the the other things that are slowly growing.
1: Yeah, that that happens. I think that, that happens a lot. What happened with me specifically, uh, I was like 20 years old and I think I told you about this in the initial email. Um, I, if you'd looked kind of at my life, like without examining it at all in any kind of critical way, you would have just seen a kid who was like paying his own rent with a job. Like I had a job in college. I was paying my rent on my like little row home room, uh, in Philly.
2: I went a row home room. A room in a row home, sorry. Uh like oh, Philly, I see. Philly's okay. all, like,
1: like, row I homes. thought it meant
2: on the water and you had to row to get home.
1: <laughs> you know, I did not. You don't want to take a boat on this. You don't want to be anywhere near the school kill if you're... Oh,
2: you get a nice cheesesteak. You, you lash your oars. Yeah. And then you do whatever people do who row. Uh, like reenact the old man in the Yeah. Just, like, the, the fish kills you. You get Johnny. You find where a shore is. Uh, I, I I would not hold it against you if you got up and walked out right now. No, I'm I would just, not hold it. I can't. Here's a question I want go to ahead, a- go, a- yeah. ask you, and I hope this isn't. Uh, I'm ready. What does eye contact feel like for you? Why Why do you think it's? Yeah. It It makes My you. My therapist asked me this un- Uncomfortable. Yeah. Um. P- p- are there people where eye contact is? Doesn't feel uncomfortable. And if so, what is it about them? Or is it eye contact with anybody feels? I typically
1: don't make eye contact for extended periods of time with anyone, except, um, and this is this is something I consciously will do, uh, job interviews. Because I know, I know that the expectation is that I have to make eye contact during a job interview. Is it hellish? I don't, you know, is is it like like, it's sort of like focusing, like to do something really hard. If you were like, I don't know, like like an athlete, like I'm gonna sprint, so you can do it for a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes, focus really like. But the thought of doing it all day would just be like, I want to work here because whatever. Like, yeah, I can do it, and then I then after a job interview, I'm like in a fetal ball, smoking cigarettes, eating like the biggest sandwich ever, just hating capitalism
2: what do what (laughs) that's right (laughs) you go deep yeah what do you think it does it exacerbate your fear of being judged you know what it is uh it's sort of
1: like if i look someone in the eyes they can i get the information from them that i start to i start to be able to get the information from them that i'm like consciously avoiding I don't want that information because I'm constant. I want the information, but I don't want the information. It's like finding out... It's like getting the results of your HIV test. Like, just like you... Right before you hear it, you're like, shit, 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 shit. And then you're fine. And like, in most of these situations where I'm like freaking out about, did I insult this person? They don't care because people are fucking busy. And they're thinking about themselves
2: probably as much as you are thinking about
1: yourself. And more because I... Don't I'm not even a naturally introspective person. Pe- most people like achieve naturally like a small level of introspection just based on like whatever they kind of know what they want. And I don't have any of that. So like, yeah, people are like, it's not bad. We should be self-involved. If we're not somewhat self-involved, we're in a lot of trouble. Um, the thing is, is like I'm terrified about what someone
2: does in a moment. So. What are you afraid is going to happen? What
1: am, what am I afraid that they're of going to
2: bore their eyes into you and and see some part of you that you want to hide? Definitely, um, that
1: like they're going to see that I'm unwell. They're going to see how uncomfortable they make me, and of course by avoiding them, like strenuously avoiding eye contact and strenuously avoiding. Um, like making con- proper connections with people because I don't have a ton of friends. Obviously, this is not like this is not like a like a, this is not like a like a setup that like encourages the formation of like lasting strong friendships. So, when you say setup, you mean the
2: issues you deal with?
1: Yeah, just like just the okay. way I'm just the way I'm wired. Like I couldn't even um, basically once somebody is sort of in, like the once they're kind of like beginning to be my friend, I, f- I fuck with them like mercilessly. Like I I just I like I. I'm erratic. I make weird noises. Um, I'll intentionally, not intentionally, just sort of like as a nervousness reaction. Like, I, like, like, I remember even as a, like, being young in high school, like, I would always be doing, (laughs) I just remember, um, sitting in, like, history class. I want to apologize to Miss Osterman, uh, wherever she is. Um, like, sitting in history class, she was talking about John Adams. I was sort of looking out into the middle distance, and then I'd raise my hand and ask the teacher whether she thought like Buddy Rich or Keith Moon was a better drummer, and then I'd have to go to the principal's office. So there was no, there was no like acting out. Um, were you? Were,
2: did you think that that was a genuine, uh, no valid question, no, or were no. you trying to get a laugh? No, not even a laugh. I just,
1: it's just, I just, uh, it just. Did you see nothing wrong with that? Or or? I don't know. I don't know what I was doing. I think I just um, I was sort of like desperate. Like somebody. Like imagine like you had to like play. Imagine the only the only you could only hear like a. uh, Imagine you could only like, like nothing in front of you makes sense. You can't contextualize it properly because you don't really know how the median person processes their emotions how they function uh in their relationships how they maintain relationships how they do things like network like make a like keep a contact at a job that they had so that they can put them on their resume for later like you don't really know how anyone you don't you don't. you feel like everybody's got the map and you haven't you don't have it so what do you do you're just um my ex-wife actually described it she's sometimes kind of on she sometimes kind of got it she called it uh like every time you open your mouth i feel like you're playing jazz because you don't make any sense you're just saying things to try them so it's like I wasn't even expect like sometimes I would just get like a like a really uncomfortable laugh, but a lot of times a lot of times I just would get a lot of wide-eyed.
2: And with that, yeah, with that confusion about who's a better drummer, and by the way, I think Keith Moon was, even though Buddy Rich technically was better, I okay. think a lot of times he played without soul. And he was very <laughs> mechanical. Yeah. Um it is it is it that thought just pops into your head and you have to release it, or were you sitting there mulling about who was the better drummer?
1: Not even that. I just, I think it was just, I felt like a quiet, like, like a a dignity about how boring it was to be there. And then instead of everybody just like, you know, you're supposed to just like, like, like part of like the idea is that public schools, like social, like teaches us how to be model citizens by like teaching us how to like just suffer quietly. And I didn't understand why I had to do it. I just wanted to kind of like, just like let me read whatever I want, whenever I
2: want. So was it that you were feeling kind of indignant about conformity? Indignant, like indignant about conformity, but also um,
1: indignant that everybody else seemed to have like a plan. They, They were, these were, I was in sort of like a high achieving pro, like it was like supposedly like a high achieving program or something. I'm not sure what the purpose was, but every, they all seem to have like very like oriented plans about like, this is who I have to like charm to do the thing and do the other thing. And I, I was so confused and I saw how uncomfortable I made other people by, you know, not making eye contact by talking quickly, talking erratically switching from subject to subject. Like I knew instinctively that I wasn't doing any of the necessary uh things to get ahead so i was like why not just do whatever
2: i want at the time would it be would it be fair to say that uh, their placement as a accelerated student had a certain amount of hard work necessary whereas yours was just that's how your brain was molded and you didn't feel relatable to them because they were driven and focused on the future and you were just like yeah what the fuck
1: it's w- yeah like you meet some you meet someone and you meet someone and they're like I applied to like eight schools Georgetown Duke like and you're and you're and you're like I sent an application to Temple University and if they don't Respond to me. I guess I'm just going to go like work at a garage for a year because I don't, I told my parents I don't want to go to college, but, and it's, it's, it's that versus like their like drivenness. And you see, you're not like, it wasn't like, it's not like stupidity. It's, it's like, it's like you're adjacent to these people who are trying so hard and you know your ambition is not their ambition, but you also know that you're not succeeding, like, you can kind of see... Like, when there are conventional measures of success that are put up in front of you, you can see whether you're meeting them. Uh, and if you're not meeting them, you start you begin to feel, like, a sense of displacement from a very young age. So, some people, like, yeah, they're displaced and then they become, like, Allen Ginsberg. Some people are displaced and they just get, like, frustrated and just sort of retreat. It's so... I just became frustrated and retreated further and further and further away from, like,
2: socializing properly. Like, I had, like, the Did people- you want to? And do you want to um, socialize better? Or is it something that you're pissed off that other people put so much emphasis on it?
1: No, I totally, like, um And I, I'm not
2: criticizing the way you no. socialize. I'm talking yeah, about your no, view of the yourself. Question.
1: I do understand the question. So, I mean, there is, uh, there is like, often... A sort of, like, contempt of, like, people constantly striving for conventional forms of approval. There's that, but that's lame, because, like, you really do want to be approved of by large masses of people. Not even to be... We're not talking about, like, being famous, like, something yeah. something stupid like that. We're just talking about, like, you walk into a room, you ask, like, uh, somebody for something, or you have a conversation with someone, and you don't feel like they feel uncomfortable with you they're like who the fuck is that guy you just want to have like interactions that go normally um that don't leave people either suspicious or unsettled or talking about you and you talking about you you just want to be
2: sort of like unnoticed uh that's a low bar by the way yeah you just want to be unnoticed that kind of breaks my heart on a Uh. on a certain level
1: God, yeah, but it's 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 stress it's stressful because it's not like I'm getting it's not like uh, I don't know you're 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 a comedian right so you you perform and that's that's like a structured that's sort of like a structured environment like I'm here you will listen you will either like I don't know throw rotten fruit at me or uh, laugh or just silently kind of like stare into the middle distance but there's just like a structured environment for me to like be performative whereas if you're being performative unintentionally all the time. You just feel like a fucking freak, and being at an even keel, not noticed, calm, it becomes a kind of goal because I can be like performative, ridiculous, uh, say absurd things.
2: But you have to get talk up very
1: quickly, it. right? Yeah, yeah. And, but it's it's, it's that it's, sounds
2: draining. Yeah, it's, it's extremely draining. It's extremely extremely exhausting, and... um, You know, I always say to people, when you get off stage, uh, after doing 45 minutes or an Mm -hmm. hour as a stand-up comedian, Mm -hmm. it's that feeling... I forget how long the SAT tests take, but... Like four hours. It's like taking two SAT tests Mm -hmm. back-to-back. You are just completely drained because your brain for that hour even though a lot of the words you've said before your brain is almost split in half where you're gauging the audience's reaction to it while you're performing it and your brain is spinning at such a high rate and in many ways it's a drug that is very intoxicating but it leaves you a lot of times feeling like a husk when you when you finish, you yeah. just, you just, uh, uh, quivered when I, when I said that. Was, was that because of something I said or something unrelated? Just
1: like, just the, just the idea of like giving, just giving the entirety of yourself to, sh- to strangers emotionally. And not even, uh, with stand-up comedy, it's not even like, I know a lot. Be- because
2: you relate to that or because that's a horrible thought? I
1: know, I, I relate to giving yourself to strangers completely and then like some of them just don't even care because they didn't
2: understand half of what you meant or they did but they didn't and from care. your from your place is yeah. that out of survival or because you're just like eh, I kind of want to get along
1: no i look i honestly I, I agree with i agree with i agree with the thing my ex wife said like it, 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 oh every time i open my mouth it kind of it's kind of like an experiment like i'm surprising myself by saying, by stringing any kind of coherent thought together because, honestly, my, my, my default mode of communication is just sort of like grunting and, like, waving my hand and being like, this is too complicated. You want well, this to understand?
2: Is, this is surprising for me yeah. to hear because you've been so cogent, and I think that might be the first time I broke that word out on the podcast, and I'm kind of hating myself because it sounds really pompous. Yeah, why would you learn that word, I'll um, Talk like a dick school?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's not my joke.
2: <laughs> your, your thoughts have been very well uh formulated and expressed in that took practice in our conversation or do you feel a certain level of exhaustion
1: at this point or after this podcast i'm going to eat something enormous while shaking what do you what do you think it's going to be i don't know what's open i don't know i'm not from los uh, angeles well you're That's in los good. angeles
2: there's a lot of good shit open like 24 hours like
1: like lately late, late. yeah you can yeah. find a
2: diner or yeah. uh In and Out Burgers open late. They're open to, Uh, like In and Out Burger. You ever had In and Out Burger? I have not. Is
1: that even like a? Do they even exist west
2: of like the Mississippi? I don't think so. I think it's mostly a West Coast. I mean, east of the yeah, yeah. east of. Um, Do you Hmm. feel like we've we've touched enough on the uh, social struggles
1: and feeling? uh, Yeah, I just want to say that um, for like people people who have anxiety, like. It's a full-time job, being an anxious person, because there is no, like, one thing. You can't just, like, eliminate something from your life and think that you're going to stop worrying. Like, uh, I mean, the extreme example is what? Like, Michael Jackson in his, like, uh, hygienic bubble, like, breathing filtered air or whatever. Like, you can't... You just can't, like, eliminate enough things from your life that you're not going to worry about some stupid shit, so and that's the nature of the human
2: brain is one way right. it, it if it's a fearful brain it will never run out of fears to create right so but like if,
1: you, if you're like I don't, know, I don't know if you're like exercising eating right doing it all this shit and you still can't get it together uh you know go to therapy but also consider medication <laughs> just try it do you take meds oh yeah. oh yeah oh, you God, said that i in the love
2: beginning. i love sweet sweet meds. i want
1: to i want to thank corporate america and big pharma <laughs> um Selexa the generic citalopram, um, or rather, c- generic of Selexa is citalopram, yeah. twenty milligrams every day. That's what I take every day. Yeah, I thought your thing was
2: lamotrigine. I take that as well, oh, and buspar because I'm three times as good as everybody. What? what? Uh, buspar helps you synthesize um, serotonin, I'm told. So it kind of uh, it's the mm. it's the Robin to Selexa's Batman. <laughs> Nice. It's in the side cart, and a little more effeminate.
1: Yeah, I gotta, I gotta be careful with this medication. Though not, uh, the side effects are not that bad. Like uh, before, Celexa, it was uh, Paxil generic Prozac. Um, weight gain enormous, like just vile. And it's a very common thing with with Paxil. Did, did you ever stroke your man
2: titties when uh, when you gained oh, a lot of weight? Oh yeah,
1: uh, like I had like I had like generous, lovely breasts when I had Paxil. I had like. Would you eight call shins? Would you call your titties sweet? Um, they had names. Yeah, they're gone. They're gone now. They're deceased. Yeah. We don't we don't speak their name. I have like a black arm. I'm wearing a black <laughs> armband. You can't see it because it's a podcast. Um, because of
2: the disappearance of your man titties? Uh, Did you put a picture of your man titties on the side of a milk carton when they disappeared? No, I. that's that's what Facebook is for. I have all those wedding photos up there. Have you seen these? <laughs> <laughs> and then you standing with less weight, uh, with a tear running down oh, your face.
1: Oh, God. Yeah, they can, they can stay gone forever. Like, being that fat, you can just feel yourself dying all the time.
2: I don't know. I I, I hate to... You know the the worst moment for yeah. me is yeah, when yeah. you've gained weight is when you go to tie your shoes and you find yourself kind of not struggling to breathe, but it's more difficult than when you tied your shoes before. And especially after you've eaten something and you're like, oh, that feels like something's going to give.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
2: but go ahead. Yeah. You're you're uh, No,
1: you uh you said a, you just said a lot of truths. You just said a lot of important truths.
2: Yeah, um throwing a couple of days of constipation and you've got uh you got a thriller.
1: I want to be ca- <laughs> I want to be careful about that stuff though, saying that stuff. Especially in if, if in a medium that if like other people are going to hear it. I want to be careful about saying it because at some point you really are just projecting a body issue you have. There's nothing there's nothing like morally or intrinsically wrong about being fat. I felt like physically that I was at a weight where I was my breathing was belabored, my sweating was constant, I there were smells emanating from me and snoring and all this associated like garbage and just um I felt physically unhealthy at a weight. If you're at a weight, any weight relative to your height, and you feel cool with it. Essentially, like health, like health wise, yes. not,
2: and you're not like if you're emotionally okay with it, as opposed to it threatening your
1: yeah. Because people, like, everyone is everyone is out to give you a fucking body
2: issue. Yeah, and and I yeah. hope I hope yeah. my jokes didn't come across as no, no, as no. Putting, they they don't. Uh, okay. they, they
1: come across as jokes, but just I just want to say it because like I am so. Sensitive to
2: just the perception that somebody would see me as fat. Why do you think that is? Um, is Because of a cultural thing or your own worrywart thing? I, I
1: don't know. Like, I got so fat on Paxil, but it was also... It was a combination of Paxil and the fact that I was just... We knew my marriage... We both knew the marriage was a horrendously bad idea. So I was reacting to it in the way that I react to stress, which is... The consumption of massive amounts of food, and I like. I want to be clear. My eating, I'm not like bulimic. I don't eat like twenty thousand calories in one sitting, and then like puke it all out, um, or something like that. But I will eat in one
2: sitting with, like ten thousand calories and keep it in. That's a lot of calories. Yeah, I've done that before. Give me, give me a snapshot of a sitting.
1: So, uh, so we
2: can wrap our heads around what 10,000 calories is that that's like is it like there's five it's like five big Macs right or more Oh,
1: no, sure yeah like i i don't know like i went into uh, i remember just once just 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 to just to disgust my uh, ex wife i just went into like a 711 and ordered like five of those hot do- those like suspicious bacteria laden hot dogs that are like rotating in the wheel crazy. of death yeah 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 the the wheel of of, of shame and death uh I ate like five of those just like five and then i would drink like like i i don't even the funny thing is like i'll order like a diet coke because like i say if and and if anybody ever asked me what nobody does because everybody everybody thinks it's like reasonable to order like an enormous amount of food and then a diet coke but i just say like i don't like to drink the calories like to eat them um i think a
2: lot of people are that way yeah 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 yeah.
1: um but um yeah uh like i'll eat like five hot dogs i once spent three hours eating ribs at an all-you-can-eat rib place i've eaten challenge steaks that were really just an excuse for me to like, just because that feeling, um, it, it, the feeling of eating until you are, are not just sated, but it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. But you're, you disassociate from yourself. You can't think the only thing you can focus on is your breathing because you're like, I'm so full that if I don't focus on breathing in a structured way, I will
2: vomit and I can't do that. Wow, that is right. That is right on the edge, you know. Of of something, right? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I ate two pounds of prime rib once when I was mm-hmm. about nineteen or twenty years old because yeah. somebody was like, "You can't eat that," and I was like, "Oh yeah, fucking watch this." Yeah. And I didn't throw up, but it's the closest I've ever felt. It 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 was uncomfortable. Yeah. Towards the end. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't doing that emotionally. I was doing that egotistically. Uh, because, egotistically. Yeah. I've
1: done. I, I'd like to think I've just done both, but really, like, when, even when I'm eating, eating egotistically, I'm like, oh, I get to do an eating exhibition and calm my
2: unquenchable anxiety. So it's like. So do you feel like it, on a certain sick level, when you impress people with the amount you eat, that there's a little show-off equality, like I'm special? Of
1: course. Yeah. I mean, look, I come from a family of gluttons. Like, um, uh, my, my, my uncle, uh, has diabetes now um and we don't have diabetes in the family he just tried really hard
2: and got diabetes you know what i mean he applied but he got rejected or uh, he no he applied accepted. and he like
1: got accepted with like a scholarship like he I, I, okay my grandmother right you like my father would come home from school or whatever and she'd like do you want a steak and uh do you that, or him my father will eat a lot a lot but like I will eat an insane amount like I just recently ate like a like a basket of deep-fried bacon like a pound of deep-fried pork like covered in cheese with the thing and then I also ate there was there was a dessert involved right I don't remember there was there was milk there was a milkshake afterwards that was like custard with bacon in it and I just kept you like didn't drink that. there was it was like it has we
2: just said you didn't drink that yeah
1: it had too much bourbon it had too much bourbon in it the mm. point is like um the eating, like however much I'm eating, um, it doesn't matter. The point is like to get to the point where I'm sweating, where I'm about to fall asleep, where I can't feel anything but my own pain and like shame, and then like you're just you you you've, you've fallen apart. You can't it's, do anything.
2: It sounds to me yeah. like that's a really blunt way to yeah. be present. To, what? to yeah, like yeah. a like a, a because when you are. Th- when you get to the point where you have to concentrate to not vomit, you can't help but be present. Mm-hmm. You can't help but be in your body. You, you, there's no thinking of the future when you are fighting the urge to vomit. And I wonder if it's a way of you banishing the obsession about the past and the future. You know, what... Yeah. What, mm. anxiety, well, cause, yeah,
1: because anxiety is like a product of like things that could happen, are happening right now, might happen. So, like... Yeah, that's a very, that's a, that's a great way to look at it. Like, I can't do anything but be here in my sickness, like in my, like in my mm-hmm. physical sickness, not just like whatever. Um, just, just, just be here in my sickness. And people don't realize food's the hard one as far as like uh, addictions go. Cause you we don't. Sh- Look at someone weirdly if they get like a double down sandwich, right? You've never looked at anybody and be like that guy's fucking unless he's already like, you know, one of those people yeah. who get on like reality television shows for losing weight. We don't look at them and say like, God, Jesus, get it together, man. But if somebody's like, you know, they keep drinking past a certain point, then we're like, oh, that guy's a mess, and so he, and he yeah. has
2: emotional issues or he has a disease mm-hmm. that you know that is very serious. But uh, right. I really hope, uh, I hope. Uh, more compassion and understanding yeah. can come for people who eat emotionally um, or don't eat uh, emotionally, and you know, hope people realize that disordered eating—it doesn't matter whether it's too much or too little. It's about discomfort and our skin and fear and yeah. needing to control
1: the intersection. Like the 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 most the most clear and like obvious intersection of like my of my really really intense anxiety and like my. Uh, c- uh attempts to to stop the anxiety by eating are like i'm walking around my kitchen literally pacing around my kitchen it's two o'clock in the morning i'm talking to myself i'm having a pen in my hand i'm like writing notes to myself i'm like opening the fridge take out some like processed cheese slices eat them take a bag of pretzels like start eating that put it away put it uh keep pacing keep talking keep muttering um Someone like my wife, my ex-wife, when I lived with her, would like come down and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Uh, because at some point, like at some point, like something would be going in the oven. Coincidentally, I like to cook, which is, you know, often, um, being, a, being a foodie is just an excuse to just like, like endlessly gorge yourself in, a, in an elevated way. Um, but yeah, so just like, just taking things out, like shoving things in your mouth, uh, muttering, like, sh- like shaking, like not being able to go to bed, feeling like this need to eat because like if you're, if you're eating you're not I don't know, it's just like something to do with your hands almost.
2: It it, uh. it almost sounds like you if you're if you can't distract yourself with that eating like you're you like you feel you're going to be eaten right by, by your fear and your anxiety. Yes. Like it's gnawing at you. Yes. And I mean I used to smoke and
1: I like quit basically. But it didn't nothing changed like I don't know some people smoke because they're like oh smoking's gonna make me thin it just didn't it had nothing to do with it when I was smoke and fat at the same time I would just you just hear me wheezing and smoking and eating a cheeseburger mm-hmm. so I mean you just want to kind of like add you just want you just want like more things to just fill your whatever with but
2: have you ever tried to eat a cheeseburger, smoke and jerk off at the same time? Yeah,
1: of, like of course. Yeah. Um also
2: known as the trifecta.
1: What what is it? Uh what is uh who called? Oh, yeah. My favorite uh, ever was uh I think was Mark Marin who called a Jewish speedball uh eating a pint of Ben and & Jerry's and jerking off. <laughs> 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 Done that like way too many times. Yeah. And the masturbating thing, like it's constant. You're just doing that to there was a point in my life where I couldn't even like fall asleep unless I jerked off like twice. I don't know what that was about. There was like it was like it was like two passes at it or something. Um, the masturbating is like is like constant. It's just this constant need to relieve something. How many, how many times a day? God, I think uh, now not so much, but um, like four times, five times. Sometimes it's just like that seems it seems like a lot. Yeah, it just and it just to the point where like it hurts and like you're obviously like you're not gonna form an intimate relationship with somebody if you're masturbating that much like you just start to prefer the intimacy of your own hand because you're like this is familiar this is what I like and it's quick and it doesn't require doing anything that I hate which is meeting people talking to people convincing people that I'm not uh, a nutcase and uh, it's just fantasy is so
2: soothing if you if you're I don't even do fantasy. That, 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 that's that. No, because you know what? Like a fantasy. Are you, what, are you, what are you thinking uh, about or looking at when you're masturbating? I mean, you got to have something in your head, right? Or sorta, you something know, you're looking at. Because
1: a fantasy, like once you start, once you start with a fantasy, it becomes like. You're just reintroducing the potential for all your anxieties because like what? I'm going I'm going to think of a beautiful woman being scared of me like because I'm talking too fast? No, it's just like I just want to, like stare out into the middle distance like like
2: Well, that's what fantasy is, is that you imagine that you're you're, you're oh, that seducing she's, that she's her that she's, that she's that that really interested yeah, that in that you're not scaring her away with your social uh anxiety.
1: I have to start masturbating better, Paul. Like, I have to, I have to, like, I have, <laughs> oh, yeah. to, I have to, I have to, I have to, I'm going to refocus my, like, my yeah. efforts after this, after recording this podcast. uh, Yeah, I just, like, just sort of stare out into the middle distance, kind of like the, kind of like the disinterested way that, like, you see two dogs, like, fucking each other. They're just both, like,
2: And it's just, that's it. That's kind of mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Because for me, it's all about the, what, what gets me going, be it something I'm looking at or something I'm thinking about. I, I don't think I've ever uh stared off into space it's in like, it's to me like that, physi- it's
1: just like physical release's like there's like there's a, there is a tension can I eat something right now maybe can I jerk off yes
2: to, to me that's <laughs> like I'm gonna go to the Super Bowl I'm gonna deal with traffic in the flight in the hotel room but I'm just gonna walk around the tunnel I don't really want to watch the game it just seems to me <laughs> like there's no there's no enjoyment in it. I'm not enjoying yeah. it.
1: <laughs> I'm not enjoying it. So you
2: just it's something to get through to bring those feelings of calm.
1: Yeah, I forget who described it this way. I forget who did I, I think it was I don't remember who said this, but it's like draining an abscess.
2: Okay. So it's not the act itself isn't pleasurable, it's the just, relief afterwards is pleasurable. Just really you just sort of
1: sitting there like <sighs> Okay. Oh. <sighs> and then you
2: I don't know go back to work or something <laughs> I don't know so wait, what do you what do you think as you sit here and you hear him share about that can you can you come over are you are you comfortable oh, yeah. chatting Absolutely. um that microphone is not on so you'll yeah. you'll have to uh to share. share john's okay. uh if you can I'll put this right in between you guys
0: can you hear me okay
2: yeah just a little closer to it um what do you think is as you hear him share about that the anxieties and um stuff like that is it oh. how how do how do you find intimacy with him if if you have been able to how do you connect
0: we're so through- similar in so many ways based on how we socialize we're so similar in so many ways based on how we socialize and how we kind of react to our anxiety that I think we mostly relate to those things about each other very well. <laughs> um, in terms of like, I mean, the only the only question I had was, were you really upset when we were in St. Louis eating all that pork?
1: I mean, like physically distressed? Yeah, of course. But were you
0: upset? Like before, like when we started eating, were you
1: upset? I don't know. <laughs> <So> <laughs> there's just a the constant like there's just the constant need to just like like fill the, the I don't know.
0: Uh, I don't know. Fill
1: the pork hole.
2: Was- yeah, fill the pork
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well Sorry. the thing is that um when we're together and he usually isn't doesn't seem that upset, like yeah. we usually don't deal with like overeating issues when we're together.
1: She's usually there making a face that says you're killing yourself, please stop. So mm-hmm. that would
2: you would stop for her, but not for you.
1: No, no, not for me, Jesus, for me, I mean, for me, I'll go back up to like three hundred pounds. I don't, yeah, I've done it before because I should I get into this when I got to be ex- like at my highest weight ever, I was in an, a long term committed relationship, so the way that my marriage worked was like, you know you I don't know, a kid touches a hot stove and they're like, he'll, he'll never do that again, and that's like some it's like some parents that are like are to this like let them try a stupid thing and it's sort of like in a way I was allowed to touch the hot stove again and again and again and again and the person that I was with my ex- my ex wife was like never the one to even like, tr- like she would say like you're going to hate yourself later but she would never like actually like go past that in removing me from like and I don't know what the ethics are of removing a loved one from like a dangerous situation like people should have autonomy or whatever but it feels like I don't know if I saw you engaging in your worst habit like right in front of my face I'd say I'd try harder than just you're going to be sorry in the morning mister well,
0: With her it was about punishments
2: Did it give her power to see you fucking of up Of course
0: she wanted to punish you well, That's yeah. like
2: the opposite of intimacy She wanted you that's to like,
0: to experience like the maximum amount of pain so that you'd be ashamed of yourself after. So she
2: needed you more or you'd need her more I mean The
1: the whole thing was to cre- kind of like create a system of like dependency. Like I would need her to do everything for me. And what's sick is that like, when it became the opposite of that, where I was sort of like doing everything for her, she would deny it. Um, Because I would handle everything that was practical. Like, I don't know, completing a house loan, dealing with the car, dealing with the, like the, just the, general flow of life but she would be really good for like
0: i don't know vacations to india
1: <laughs> yeah she would sort of be like let's go to india and, and that would
0: be like the defining feature like of your life like that's the important thing oh we're having fun so everything right else... but
2: was it fun going to india or was yes it, it India's was fun but she, was it fun with her
1: was it like was she did she add anything to it i don't it, know were there were there positive
2: experiences and I don't need you to list them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah okay. Of course
1: there were positive experiences. Like that that trip to India was like like one of the really great periods of my life. But even within the context of that trip there were just things surrounding it that were crazy. Um right before we went on this trip, right? Uh one of the things that happened, we almost like canceled the whole thing. We'd had like plane tickets and stuff Uh, we didn't have a yeah we had like plane tickets what had happened there was this incident where we were I was younger than I am now I was I'm like 25 now I was 21 at the time she asked me and I I think this is like a normal topic of conversation I don't know Uh, who do you think of when you jerk off And I was like, and this was before I started to masturbate constantly. And that was something I started to do in the later, like later period of our marriage, because having sex with her was so stressful that I was so stressed out a and having sex with her was incredibly stressful and I just didn't want to deal with it. So I just became kind of like a, like I masturbated and we didn't have sex that much. But so she asked me like when you masturbate because I wasn't masturbating that much who do you think about and I'm not stupid I said you you (laughs) you and she was like you're lying you're lying you're lying and
2: after like that is such a younger person I don't want to get in trouble answer yeah because it's like anybody in their 30s that begins to really get in touch with their sexuality and get honest with the partner and open up would like that would right. make them spit their coffee out that's the the purpose of masturbating is to, is to have a break from the I, what yeah. you're it at. just
1: it just felt like the right thing to say and I guess it's is, or something
2: although I'm sure there are people
1: out there that who can do, be honest yeah who and who do yeah. do that who do think oh of a, their partner. A loved one yes yeah. yeah 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 and it wasn't true I didn't so uh at some point I was just like well there was this like there was this girl in high school I had a crush on She heard it, like heard the words, who is it? Um, It turned really quickly into like, from like innocent, kind of like playful questioning into one of like the most intensely awful nights ever uh, of my, of my life. Like what happened in short order was she got the name out of me, um, found the person on Facebook freaked out because the person was somewhat thinner than she was. So it became like, you think I'm fat. You think I'm like hideous you th-? because this, this person had like lost, a lot, I guess a lot of weight from high school and had begun to look like Coke skinny. And so she was offended that she began to think that like, I only went for women who were like rail thin. And this, this was, a, this was just a prelude to like seven hours of fighting. You don't really love me. You don't, right. um, think i'm attractive you uh, I, I i get it i don't want to get I, yeah right. i don't
2: want to get bogged down in in right. your bad sure. relationship yeah. with her i'm interested right. in you right uh so
1: basically like yeah so that fight like there was this you know you you fight with someone like crazily for seven hours like really digging it out uh fall asleep during just the, uh, because what what happened was take any of this stuff as a sign that the marriage or the relationship at the end this was just stuff that i thought like we can work around this what i was saying i was going to work around was fighting for so long with one person that i fell asleep in the middle of the argument from actual like physical exhaustion and then was woken up by being like pummeled essentially like you can't fall asleep this has to like Have some kind of conclusion. That is so fucked up. Yeah, and then I wake up, uh, and then I think I'm being attacked, like like I'm dreaming almost that like I'm being attacked by some like predator. So I like kind of did like a motion with my arm, just like ah, and um, like swatted it away. Yeah, and she just it threw her out of the bed, and she was like, she like was fell out of the bed, and I was like, shit, you know, because I had knocked her out of bed, and I was like, are are you okay? And she's like, you. Did this, and I was like, "No, I passed out, and you like awakened my self defense." Nothing that happened ever was enough to convince me. And there were times that I like would wake up with her, like where I fell asleep during another argument, and she had her hands around my
2: my Has, throat, had, looking at me. Had yeah. you had you ever seen? healthy relationships modeled for you sure gr- my whole family up? like everyone why, in my why family you, had
1: like like a like a long-term marriage my my parents were married for 30 years well i don't
2: mean the length yeah. i mean the quality
1: yeah no 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 okay happily married 30 years four kids they related well they talked they had like their fights but they like resolved their fights my mom said things like you know jonathan never got a bed angry and like
2: so why yeah. why do you think you accepted such did you did you just think on a certain level it was going to change or you didn't deserve better
1: yeah, like I, did, I. I not only did I not think I deserve not deserve better. I was constantly told that like no one was ever gonna and go look, for it by her. It's like she's just, like no one's gonna go for y- this. I'm dealing with you. So it sounds like she was emotionally predatory. Yeah, she would like the joke. Like the joke that I started to make was like, "Oh, she's my social worker," it was, but it was more like the I don't know. It was sort of like the relationship that like Brian Williams had with this psychi- psychiatrist, psychologist. Um, she just started to control every aspect of my life and like everything kind of had to be filtered through her perspective and seen her way. And I had to agree with her. Like if I didn't agree with her even about weird, like small political issues that I was like sort of interested in, like I would say like I'm studying this as a consequence of this because I did economics in college and I would look at like a specific thing like was it better to own a house or like get government subsidized rent as a large the point is like she would hear that and be like no home ownership is like the only thing that matters renting so,
2: so just sounds very narcissistic that it was her way or yeah or there you were an idiot was trouble right it was real trouble Zo- zoe as you as you hear him talking about this um and h- how long have you guys been together
0: not um. that not that long um but this is kind of a co- it's a you compl- met on the way over it's a complicated story and a complicated relationship um mm. do we want to get into not it not
1: really no.
2: <laughs> your cousins
0: no
1: um <laughs> kissing cousins
0: can i give the short version
1: uh we both know the
0: no this is the real short version the real short version the the actual truthful short version hmm. um his ex-wife was my his ex-wife was my best friend for 15 years and I was the maid of honor at their wedding and we met as a consequence of trying to get her committed into a psychiatric program basically like we started talking because of that
1: well originally we were we were planning an intervention for her drinking like a, like an intervention intervention like the show
0: yeah like we were going to have like a psycho a psychologist come and help us with this intervention but as we tried more and more to do it she just became more and more resistant to us trying to help her stop being so insane Um, And to the point that she's completely pushed me away um, and is more or less done with him, obviously. But um, the types of abuse that we dealt with at her hands were similar in many ways. Um, And we also we relate to one another in the sense that we've both been in long relationships with people who were horrible to us. And we thought that we would never get anything better than that, that we would never be respected by anybody that like this was as good as it gets like you have this fun person who like wants to go on adventures with you even if they treat you like garbage like that's that's as good as it fucking gets basically like we both had that pathology Uh,
2: how long have you guys been together five months yeah five months uh, has it gotten toxic
0: together us no no they just both looked (laughs) at each
2: other with incredulity (laughs) also a first time for that word That's uh, You guys seem to have a really nice chemistry together. No,
0: we're really happy. And it's like, we just met his cousin. I met his cousin uh, for the first time today. She lives in Los Angeles and we were here and she just was so skeptical. She's like, I don't know, man, it's really hard to like build something out of the ashes of something so bad, but it doesn't feel like that at all.
1: <laughs> but she's right.
0: I mean, it is, yeah. but I think that, you know, we, it's almost like we have the self-awareness and the adjustment level necessary to deal with this problem. Like, we've both...
2: The problem being the friend?
0: The the problem being the friend and the fact that, like, we're both just so fucked up from this past abuse. Like, we both have anxiety triggers that are s- deeply related to Were her. they
2: there before your relationship with her?
0: No. Uh, Some, somewhat. Sometimes, but not real, all the time.
1: I had all of these underlying anxieties and she recognized them and sort of played me like a... She just saw them and was able to take advantage of me. And look, um, I kind of... I want to focus on... There's something I want to focus on as far as her with... I don't know if I mentioned her specific diagnosis yet. Bipolar. uh, The big one was um, borderline personality disorder Mm -hmm. and bipolar. So she would have manias and stuff. But those could be controlled by medication and are now, because she's taking medication. What the real problem was is borderline personality disorder because it's a badly understood...
2: Often misdiagnosed. Thank you.
1: Uh, condition. I asked my therapist about it, actually, specifically, because I was like, where does this start? And she she told me something really interesting. She said that studies have been conducted where children as young as like 6 months are observed interacting with their mothers right um and if the mother is like relating properly to the child she kind of empathizes with the child's feelings so like if the child's sad she'll try to comfort it if it's hungry whatever she has an intuition for what the child is feeling and tries to respond to it in an appropriate way what you see in people who develop borderline, this is according, again according to my therapist, I don't know if this is like the truth, but it, it fits with my wife, is that um, the children who aren't related to properly will actually like as young as like one years old develop um, coping mechanisms. So what you'll see like apparently is like a kid drooping its head because it's sad. It cries. The mother's like, oh, stop crying. Stop that.
2: Instead of going to it and comforting yeah, it.
1: Yeah. And her mother is... Awful, like in awful in a lot of the same ways that she is like everything with her is sort of like a negotiation, but like a really blunt negotiation. Like I will reward you for being who I want you to be and I will punish you emotionally for stepping outside even a little bit like not showing like perfect conformity with that. So she was dealing with
2: that Abandonment yeah. is at the core of uh, borderline real abandonment. Personality. Because yes. her father
1: is a lovely man, but he had this like old school opportu- He had this old school um, attitude, like her mother is going to raise her. The mother deals with the children. I'm gone. So I have a lot of compassion for her because like borderline is just something you just happens to you, and like it's so hard to work with it because mm-hmm. all of your emotions are.
2: At 11 on a scale of, uh, yeah. of 10. Yeah.
1: yeah, and you always, she always feels like she's being attacked and that she needs to defend something. Even a principal feels personal, like deeply personal, yeah. and she hurts. and But we're the ones, the people yes. who are closest to her are the ones that get the flack because we try to help her. So the closer we go in... The closer we get to trying to help her, the more she fights at it. Because what you're really saying to her is, "You're fucked up. You're really
2: fucked up." When in reality, me, yeah. you're, tr- you're trying to get through to her and, and, and I mean, trying to love, trying to yeah. love her. Yeah, there's a book called uh, I. I Hate You, Don't Leave Me, I think is the is the title of it.
1: <laughs> I had her, you know, that um, that essay that you read word for word on the podcast, I like, heard her listen to that. The
2: co-narcissism
1: one. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know, this describes your mother perfectly, right? She listened to it. She's like, yeah, maybe. Which is her way of saying yes.
0: Hmm. She won't acknowledge that her problems are as bad as they are. And, I don't know, the fact that we, like, absorbed all of her hurt... I think almost made us, like, more empathetic to her, but the more empathetic that we became and the more, like, well-adjusted that we became within this abusive relationship, the less she wanted to be around us.
2: She could feel her power diminish because she wasn't able to manipulate you into the emotional states that gave her a payoff?
0: Basically. Like, she stopped talking to me about her marriage as soon as I told her, like, Bluntly, this relationship was a bad idea. I don't know why you're still in it. And I, to- I, eventually, I told her that enough times that she just stopped telling me about the relationship. Um, and everything with her is about comparisons. So if I couldn't talk, I couldn't talk about my relationships or anything in my life that she couldn't immediately counter with a better story. Because she's also entirely about stories. So now I have, like, visceral reactions to, like, anything that um, has anything to do with narrative. Like, if I feel like someone's trying to construct a narrative, I get so suspicious and so angry and so anxious that I flip.
2: You feel like you're being manipulated.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And I guess when... could we talk about this a lot, so I, I don't want to, like, speak for you, Zoe. But um, when you're talking about narrative, what you're really talking about is, like, somebody trying to construct their own mythos to, like, I don't know... Uh, present themselves as, present their, present their, their flaws as heroic things or, like, awesome virtues. Yeah, as,
0: like, beautiful stories.
1: Sort of like how, like, I don't know, like, Motley Crue wants people to think about their heroin addiction or something. I, I It's just, it's that kind of, like, really shitty, my flaws are awesome kind of thing and I'm like I'm, I'm not going to really try to fix them because there's as if, there's, not, no, as if right. there's
2: no bad side right. to it it's just right. I'm edgy right
0: yeah and like and she glorifies her addiction in this way and that's why like you know that's that was so visceral for me and I had a meltdown at some train tracks along the Pacific Ocean yesterday yeah. because Don was trying to get me to climb down to a beach and it just reminded me of me being like, with her in my childhood and, like, her and my other best friend, like, trying to climb into an abandoned warehouse or something. And me saying, no, it's not safe. And them saying, oh, come on, Zoe, don't be stupid. It's fine. And I just, like, I started screaming and I had, like, a complete episode because it, like, reminded me of her.
1: <laughs> um, so I, I want to say that, like, uh, I
2: don't want to... Somehow, it doesn't feel right to like make this about like piling on. No, and I don't. Yeah. I don't want to. I want to get away from that and ask, yeah. uh, find out how you guys. And we're, we're we're getting to to where we need to 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 start to wrap up. Sure. Um, I want to talk to you guys about share any moments that you guys have had in the five months that you've been together, where you have a moment where you both feel seen and heard and felt and like you can be your true self around each other if if you have
0: a specific a specific moment
2: yeah if there is one yeah.
0: i don't know i feel like we have things like that every day
2: yeah it doesn't have to be big um i think
1: it's a big deal when i am just anxious because i'm in a public, you know what? We were at that restaurant yesterday. You saw this immediately. We were at this restaurant where actually it ended up the food was amazing, but like the the layout of it and everything was like sort of like a cheesecake factory. It was busy, it was crowded, uh, it was badly laid out. The it didn't make the whole thing didn't make sense. She noticed immediately. She's like, "This is like a cheesecake factory." <laughs> it ended up being great, but what she noticed was that my level of unease was like creeping through the just going through the ceiling. Because those kinds of, like, crowded situations where there's lots of, like, loud people taking pictures of themselves on their cell phones and being stupid will drive me insane. Like, with actual anxiety, because I feel in those situations, like, almost like I'm being attacked by nothing. Just sort of my, my own, like, discomfort in those situations. And that's where anxiety becomes real, is when you feel so uncomfortable that you like can't breathe communication is not really possible you can only kind of communicate runs she saw it immediately and was like do you want to leave do you want to leave and i'm like no we're here and it was good that we didn't do it but so when she like saw me get it to what other people would look like an irrational fear of a crowded place to her was like i i i understand why you feel this way because you, 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 all of your anxieties all of your triggers are f- being g- pulled here by this situation and i and i get it what did it feel like to
2: feel understood by her
1: just 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 it just you know comforting just it's just like yeah you okay you get it
2: Maybe you feel the same way, but you're dealing with it better. Did it did it ease the intensity of the overload of stimulation at that point, or or was it still? Yeah, I calmed as... down
1: and I enjoyed the meal. Yeah, I really enjoyed the meal. Um, I just sort of like I was like, okay, she sees it, and but also her seeing it and not reacting to it in that way is like because she understands why I'm anxious and doesn't feel the same way. Then my, maybe my anxiety doesn't have any basis in anything aside from like ephemeral. You know what I mean? Like, mm. for her to see it and then not react the same way is to say, like, I get it, but you're safe.
2: And Zoe, hearing hearing John share that, what thoughts or feelings come up for you?
0: Um, I mean, I remember that, and I was, I just wanted you to be okay, really, but I knew you were going to be okay, because, I don't know, I, I knew that it was going to be okay if we could just get through the initial, like, bits of it. Yeah. Um, you let me captain the appetizer, I pick the appetizer. He yeah. get, He gets anxious about picking appetizers. <laughs>
2: that's kind of adorable that's kind of adorable that's way too adorable that's that's kind of gross assuming you're not whacking off when you're ordering the appetizer (laughs) Um, staring blankly at a wall I
0: what what I feel with that is that I I'm currently unmedicated for all of what I go through whatever that means Um, I'm seeing a psychiatrist though so like I get viscerally angry very quickly and that bothers him a lot and I know that it bothers him Um, but he always forgives me and listens to me through it um, which is amazing. I it always feels incredible to know that like I'm not being the worst person. That like someone understands that like what I'm going through is okay in the moment. Like I can get past it. He helps me a lot with that.
2: You know my sec- my therapist just said today, if re- if relationship has a relationships have a gold to them, it's that when we separate and disagree, that we find a way. To come back together and repair that and it's unrealistic to expect that that those times when we fall apart and pull apart and disagree it's unrealistic to expect that you're not going to have a lot of those in in the course of a relationship but he said if you're able he said that can be the strongest foundation for a relationship is to accept that you're going to disappoint each other but how you recover from that disappointment is the foundation and uh, I told him, fuck off. I'm not paying you. And I stormed out. <laughs> and I yeah. stormed out.
0: We're just going to be screaming at each other and making yeah. bird noises and yeah. crying. Just crying. Lots of crying. Lots of crying and Lots bird, crying. mostly bird noises. Mm, yeah.
2: Let's, um, let's go out with some fears. Why don't you guys trade fears? Zoe, are you comfortable sharing some of your fears? Absolutely. Just coming up with some? And um, yeah. uh, why? Actually, Zoe, why don't you come sit in my seat so you guys don't have to share a mic? <laughs> okay. Relationship, relationship fear,
1: huh?
0: or just general fears. I don't know.
1: Yeah, all right. Uh, you want to start?
0: Um, I'm afraid that there is going to be a time when I am screaming at you and saying something, and I do say something that hurts you, and that you're not going to forgive me.
1: Um, I'm, I'm afraid that I, that I disguise my lack of ambition and intelligence by like constantly changing the focus of my intellectual interests and professional goals. So there's no like specific anything that I get good at. I just switch things all the time because I'm lazy and bad. And that's That pattern will continue forever. That's, that's one of my big, big fears.
0: I have that one too. I have the exact same one. Uh, um, I'm afraid that when I'm at work um I'm going to compromise security in some way. I work in um information technology that I'm gonna compromise data security in some way and get fired, and that it's going to be entirely my fault.
1: Um, well, I don't have anything I can do like that i I'm worried that um I just have these bouts of weight gain and i and because of my medication, I'm so sensitive to weight gain like actually, if I go above like uh, I want to say 240 pounds. I begin to feel my medication's effectiveness like slipping off. So I know that at my current weight, my the ex- medication that I'm taking is not as effective in quelling my anxiety. So now I'm having actually having to rely on things I've practiced in therapy uh, to like reduce my anxiety, and I'm not really good at it. So I'm just very nervous that like a, like a weight gain will just like fuck this whole thing up, and um, then I'll have to increase my dose, and it'll become this like pharmaceutical battle against myself where I'm just chasing more mental health and getting more side effects, like more crazier, like more uh, of these like really intense dreams that I have as a side effect of citalopram, but that's just, you know, that's one of my...
0: I'm afraid that the next time I try to parallel park the car, I'm just going to start crying in the street.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, love I love a fear that gets an unabashed laugh. <laughs> That's fantastic!
1: Just screaming in the streets of Los Angeles. Why have you forsaken me, God? Why couldn't you just give me an extra three feet to park this
2: car? Let's do some loves. Yeah. Oh, I, I have to. I have to love again. After do you want I me, to, start? You
0: you want have me to, start? to You have
2: to start. Um, I love
1: when I actually like watch my niece become like more of a human being because she's she's she just turned one and like when babies are born they're they're kind of like aliens they can't do anything and she just recently did this thing where. She can't even, like, bend her knees. She doesn't have cartilage in her knees because you grow that over time. And she had to, like, bend her whole body down to do a peekaboo. She did it. She, like, recognized what the game was and did it. And, like, watching my niece become, like, a real human being is, like, one of the great loves of my life.
0: Um, I love waking up early, like, with the sunrise and having absolutely nothing to do and then eating a shit ton of food for breakfast.
1: <laughs> um, Eating. Um, I love when I eat in a way that, like, is rational but also um really like special like i love like i love it that there's a point in like a meal like if you structure like if a meal is structured a certain way like at a well-run restaurant or something where uh the food the food kind of surprises you like especially if they take like a dish that you like sort of understand and they um add something to it and you're just like wow i didn't even realize like that could exist uh because it, because they're bringing in an element from another culture or uh, something or they're just preparing it in a way that's like wow I can't believe the deep fried bacon
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Yeah. I thought you were talking about, you know, some type of food that's like, you know, cutting edge, like French bistro you um, talking about. But I know, I get
1: I know, yeah, that that's happened to me too like um uh oh, yeah, uh, there's a restaurant in Philadelphia uh that uh, that just happened To me, where, okay, get this, right? It's a, it's a piece of challah bread, which is like, Jew bread, and, um, they saute, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish, obviously, Holocaust survivor. Um, so they, like, sauteed a piece of challah bread in butter, then they dug out the middle of it while it was cooking, and slipped a poached egg in the middle, then covered it in, like, white fish, right? So they serve this thing to you that's, like, perfectly constructed, the waitress puts it down, or, yeah, it was a waitress I remember specifically because she had an Israeli accent. She slices it in the middle, and it just like an egg like pours out from like a, se- like a like a like a like a alternate universe where just like delicious things fall out. And I was like, that is beautiful and unexpected. So
0: the short version is you you love the well timed and surprising reveal of a yolk inside a Jew thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you nailed it.
2: <laughs> That's Let's do one more love each.
0: Okay, one more love. Um, I love when I am at my father's house and we just start yelling at each other from across the house and cussing at each other endlessly and then we go into the same room and then we're like, hey, you want to go shopping? And I'm like, yeah, sure. But before that, it was like, fuck you, why are you... Shut the fuck up. What are you doing? That's like every every day with me and my dad.
1: You and your dad. Uh, I love when my brother and i are being like really absurd together and uh we're we're really we're both we both end up laughing so hard that we're like gasping and i'm crying and my older sister is crying because she she always like laughs too much but everyone like the whole like we've actually just like just like disrupted another like perfectly nice family dinner by being absurd and profane and loud and it's just wonderful
2: well that's beautiful um zoe thank you so much for for jumping in and uh john thank you so much for coming in and sharing your life and your anxiety uh, with us i appreciate it thank you paul many many thanks to uh to john and uh and his girlfriend that was uh it was nice having her her chime in i know i've gotten a lot of uh, emails from you guys wanting to hear uh, a couple come on as guests where either one or both people um battle mental illness uh, I felt like that was a little a little sliver, a little peek into, uh, into that. Before I take it out with some surveys and emails, I want to remind you guys, there's a couple of different ways to support the show if you feel so inclined. You can go to the website, mentalpod.com, and you can make a one-time PayPal donation. Or my favorite, you can become a, a monthly recurring donor, um, and you really kind of need to do it through, if you're going to do it uh, through our website, if you try to do it I've been told if you try to do it through your own PayPal account, um, that doesn't give you the option or something like that. So if you can, if you're going to become a monthly donor or um, donate, do it. Do it through our website. Um, you can become a monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month, and it means the world to me. It keeps this podcast going, and um, you can also shop when you shop at Amazon. Use our search portal on our homepage. It's on the right-hand side, about halfway down, and Amazon will give us a couple of nickels when you buy something. It doesn't cost you anything. And uh, you can also support us non-financially by going to iTunes and giving us a good rating. That boosts our ranking, and that brings uh, puts us on the front page sometimes of iTunes, which brings us new listeners, and that's a really important uh, thing to keep the podcast going. Um, and you can support us uh non-financially by spreading the word through social media that's a really huge thing and uh I appreciate it facebook uh, tumblr uh, reddit we have a, a subreddit uh page which is uh, mental pod um all that all that stuff really really helps all right let's I know I had something else I wanted to share with you, but I always forget what it is. Oh, I forgot to uh, email John and get an update on how he and Zoe are doing. So I apologize. But uh, as you understand, my brain's been a little uh, on the fritz lately. Um, This is from the Being Hospitalized survey. And this was filled out by, um, she calls herself Miss Stain. And uh, she's gay. She's in her 30s and she was hospitalized because she took an overdose and uh, she says, it was shit. I was just in overnight for observation in a regular NHS hospital. I live in the UK. One of the orderlies on the ward the next morning asked me why I was in there and then asked me what I took. I told him of the cocktail of drugs and alcohol I had taken the night before to try to end my shitty life and he said, oh, that wasn't much, as if I was describing a night out. I was then certain I would take more next time. Gotta love those mental health training, these Got to love the mental health training these people get. The most helpful person I spoke to was a lady who worked in the discharge waiting room where I had to wait for about four hours before being assessed and sent home. She said she had been there, been where I was, and was so understanding and nice and funny too. It was not her job to be that person for me, but thank goodness she was there that day, the only person that I felt understood or even genuinely cared about how I was feeling after such a traumatic experience. Very profound. Very profound, and um, I, I guess there there's really no way you can um make sure you hire, pe- hire people who are compassionate and stay compassionate. Maybe there is, but god, that seems like that would be a, a, a difficult thing to um enact into something with such a huge bureaucracy. Um, but Thank God for the the healthcare workers that do see each person as an individual and as a and as a person. You mean the world to us. Um, this is an email I got from a guy who calls himself Jake G, and uh, he writes. Um, Hey, Paul, I just had to write you, as this just happened to me, and I think you may be one of the few who can understand. When I hear you talk about your mama, it triggers a lot of memories of my own mother's behavior. However, mine died in front of me when I was a teen, so that adds a nice extra layer onto everything. Anyway, today I was just hanging out in my new apartment with my new roommate, and his female friend came over and they got drunk together. Me, I went for a long walk to the farmer's market and back because it was finally above freezing. When I got back, they were both pretty wasted and wanted to hang out. I'd never met her before, but she was instantly in my face with all kinds of questions and being flirty and touching me. She even went as far as punching me, quote, playfully, but it hurt, and I asked her to stop, but she did not do so very quickly. At another point in the night, after I'd driven to pick up some more alcohol for them, as they were too drunk to do so themselves, she actually tried to remove my shirt, and when I asked her to stop, she kept at it, saying, aw, come on, be fun, to which I said jokingly, hey now, don't make me blow my rape whistle, which actually did get her to stop. Later, after I thought they'd gone to bed, she came out and barges into my room while I'm trying to talk to this woman I'm seeing on the phone. Uh, the guest won't leave, starts punching me again, all the while joking about how aggressive she is. I try to block her and ask her to leave, but she keeps asking questions and making comments and trying to read my conversation on my computer. Oh, she was on the computer with the woman he was dating. Then, as I sit down at my computer, she plops right down into my lap and settles in and tries to type messages to this woman, all while I keep saying, Please, would you not do that? I'd like it if you didn't do that. I don't want you. Please go. She eventually just walks out when I keep the keyboard out of her reach, and she saunters off like nothing weird happened. I'm beating myself up because I tell myself that a guy should be into a girl trying to rub up on him and be flirty and aggressive, but it made me want to cry and have a panic attack. I just don't feel safe with so many women, and I feel like such a weirdo because of it. And I wrote him back and said, Uh... Don't beat yourself up for one second. That is one of the healthiest reactions I have ever heard. You should be patting yourself on the back. And uh, he wrote me back and said, thank you so much for the encouragement. Um, uh, and a nice update, my roommate and I talked, and that woman is no longer welcome back. This is a survey. This is a, a survey called uh, Workplace Bullying. And this is filled out by a woman Uh, Well, she identifies as female-ish, and she calls herself Jinx, and she's in her 20s. And she writes, My last boss was a -A grade-A fuck-up and a gaslighting master. He would constantly be late with paychecks and then make me feel like a bad guy for, you know, uh, wanting the uh, agreed-upon compensation. He also got way too invested in trying to pry out stories about my, quote, lesbian experiences. When I would confront him, he would cry about how he knew he was so terrible and awful and basically just made it all about him. Or worse, he would refuse to acknowledge that he did anything inappropriate. At the same time, he praised my work so much that I didn't want to leave. Uh, It made me feel crazy. So crazy. I didn't tell anyone the whole truth because I... It felt like admitting that I was naive and stupid, and I tried to convince myself that maybe it wasn't so bad. It wasn't until I went to visit my parents slash friends for the week that I began telling the whole truth, and the reactions of the people I love and trust validated my belief that something was seriously wrong. I confronted him via email and eventually ended up quitting. Well, he just stopped speaking to me, but same difference. I just got done with a two-month-long battle with him, trying to get back a hard drive he had borrowed and money he still owed me. I got them back, but they were delivered through a co-worker because this 45-year-old man couldn't confront me. Part of me wishes I could have had the chance to crush his hopes and dreams in person, but knowing that he's such a coward is pretty satisfying, too." Um, Any advice for someone in a similar experience? She writes, don't settle, especially if you're in a creative field. You deserve compensation for your work and to be treated like a professional. Also, if your boss is a 45-year-old man who, quote, hates drama, run far, far away. Thank you for that, Jinx. This is an awfulsome moment from um, a woman who... Uh, calls herself the sto- the thorn, the stem, and the rose, and her awfulsome moment is, my mother outwardly called me, quote, fucking retarded to my face the day I received my double bachelor's degree. I'm now in grad school maintaining a 4.0 GPA. That's fantastic. And, and her mom called her that twice in the same day. I suppose one for each degree. Um, This is from the babysitter survey, and this was filled out by a guy who calls himself Roger. I'm not going to say his last name because I don't know if he knows um, because his name seems like it might be a real name, Um, and uh, he writes, my 16-slash-17-year-old female babysitter had me perform sexual acts on her over a year period. I was 9-slash-10 years old. I manually stimulated her vagina, sucked on her breasts at her direction, and we attempted intercourse. However, I was not erect and had no sexual feelings, just confusion. Uh, I've told my wife and a past girlfriend, but nobody else. Nobody in my family, uh, as the babysitter, was a cousin. I didn't think it was normal because I had no sexual feelings at the time, and yes, it has affected me and my sexuality. I just remember being confused about what sex was at the time the events occurred. In my teen years, I would get sexually excited thinking about the events and even hope they would occur again now that I was sexual. I do feel some anger towards her and feel used. Um, Do you feel any damage was done? Yes, damage was done as the events shaped my sexual preferences slash tendencies slash outlook. I love performing oral and i believe i objectify women now and only see them as sexual objects also i've been extremely promiscuous through my life and have also had encounters with many prostitutes even while still married i have trouble with intimacy outside of sex very little cuddling uh or sharing or feelings or just kissing slash making out i cannot show affection with my wife without wanting to go all the way and have sex any woman I come in contact with, I think of fucking. I've fucked a lot of women I wasn't even attracted to, and I feel shame afterwards. Uh, has has uh, your experiences influenced how you view your children being babysat? And he writes, I have been protective of my children being babysat. They have rarely been babysat, and if so, usually my parents are in-laws. Um, and he wants more shows about sexual abuse, prostitution, sex addicts. Um and uh thank you for sharing all of that roger I, I appreciate that and i hope um that you go see somebody who deals with uh childhood sexual trauma because all of this stuff that you're experiencing is is textbook um the acting out and the difficulty with intimacy and the objectifying um this is an awesome email i got from elka who is a, a very very supportive listener And um, she writes, I just wanted to drop you a line to thank you for reading the survey from the male rape survivor. Um, I read a survey about a guy who had been um, raped by two older girls. I think he was like 15 and they were like 18 and 19 maybe. Uh, She writes, uh, at one point he described his anger and frustration at quote feminists who have essentially told him he isn't really a survivor. Uh, As a feminist and a violence interventionist who works with both victims and abusers uh, of all forms of violence, I just want him to know two things. One, he is a victim and does deserve the same help, support, and compassion that a female victim would receive. And two, those, quote, feminists who dismissed and minimized his experiences are not feminists. True feminists do not hate and discount men. They strive to end violence and oppression in whatever form that takes, including violence against men. He sounds like an incredibly thoughtful, intelligent, and sensitive soul, and I hope he knows that he is not responsible for the violence others have subjected him to. They are. He does not have to tolerate partners who attempt to use power and control over him. He has a tremendous amount of value and worth, and the right people will see that as long as he continues to see it in himself. Thank you, Elka. That's beautiful. Um, This is a survey filled out by... This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Dark Flame. And he is straight. He's in his 30s. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um... He's never been sexually abused, but he has been physically and emotionally. He writes, My relationship with my parents is good now, but it wasn't always that way. I grew up with the impression that I was loved conditionally. I graduated at the top of my class in high school, trying to earn acceptance at home. I had a temper, and I came by it honestly. Uh, I would be bullied at school until I lost my temper and started swearing at people and throwing things. My folks would then lose their tempers with me at home and condemn me for getting in trouble at school. I was occasionally smacked upside the head growing up when I did something to piss off my folks. I remember being locked into my room and once my mom slammed the door so hard that the solid wood door broke off its hinges. I still deal with confidence issues today because I think there is something inherently bad about me. Any positive experiences with your abusers? There are lots of positive experiences today, but I am still resentful of the way I was brought up. Darkest thoughts, that I am messed up beyond being fixable, that my resistant depression, general general anxiety, and social anxiety make me damaged goods, and I will always be addicted to validation from others. Darkest secrets. When I was around twelve, I engaged in some inappropriate behavior with my sister, who is five years younger than me. No penetration or anything like that, but inappropriate nonetheless. Word got around, and a social worker visited my parents at work. I had to be exposed. I had to be exposed to pornography at a very young age, uh, having found my dad's stash. But that doesn't excuse my indiscretions. I was in charge. I raised my siblings, cleaned the house, and made supper every night. I wasn't allowed to have needs or wants because there was too much expected of me. I also had issues with shoplifting in my youth. I stole things out of some twisted sense of entitlement because I couldn't get anything I wanted at home. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. My most powerful fantasy is having a threesome with two women and I think it is only because I want more validation that I am attractive and acceptable. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my sister how sorry I am and that I am still messed up about it to this day. I probably never will because I don't really want to bring it up. And, you know, I just wanted to say that I've never, and I'm not a therapist, but I am a jackass that tells dick jokes, um, I've never heard of something going bad by somebody bringing a subject up. And maybe, maybe the, you know, the conversation is quick and curt and ends quickly but um it might help your sister get some closure i don't know I, if you have a therapist i would talk to your therapist um about maybe what the best way to apologize to your sister would be but it might really it might help her heal so um i know that that probably is super hard to how how to bring that up. But almost every person I've talked to whose abuser has ever apologized to them, it, it helped them. So just putting that out there and, um, you're not a piece of shit. Um, and to the question, anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Um, he writes, I'd like, I'd like to make excuses like I was only a kid or I shouldn't have seen porn at a younger age or I was repeatedly a victim of other kinds of abuse, but in the end, I still hate myself. Well, I would just say that hating yourself isn't going to solve anything. It's not going to solve anything. In fact, it'll just worsen any relationships that um, that you have right now. So uh, this is also... there. There's... Um, the next two surveys also deal with um, brother-sister uh, incest, and um, I feel like these these three that I'm reading together kind of are representative of the typical ones that I get in reading the shame and secret surveys, and um, all right, enough explaining, just read. This was filled up by a woman who calls herself outsider. She is straight. She's 19. She was raised in a pretty dysfunctional house. Um She writes, uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Um, I remember on several occasions being in uncomfortable situations with my brother who is two years older than me. The one that stands out more is the one I feel absolute disgust at myself. My parents were away to buy a new car and it was just me and my brother in the house. He came into my room with a banana, video camera, and a condom. He made me guess how they all fit together. Every wrong guess and he would spank me. Eventually, he gave up with me guessing and told me to take my clothes off. I did as he said, and he recorded penetrating me with the banana while I rubbed him. After, after this, my mind is totally blank. Therefore, I believe he stopped. I have several memories lying naked with him on top of me and rubbing himself against me. I remember him ejaculating every time. Is this what normal brothers and sisters do? Explore each other's bodies so they understand? Was I a willing participant when I never said no and never told? Um, I can't answer that that question um, for you. I, these are these are questions I think for you to to talk to a mental health professional about. Um, you know, this is. Um, I think this is one of those things that's that. I don't even want to say anything about it because I I I don't know. This is just a, to me a classic one that needs to be talked about with with a therapist. Um, have you ever been emotionally abused? Uh, she writes, "Not sure. My mom is an alcoholic, and every day she would tell me I needed to lose weight. I was a mistake." Uh, yeah, I'd say that. I'd say that's that's um, uh, abuse. Um. Uh, she would say it was a mistake and my biological father used to hit us I don't remember the physical stuff but I made myself really isolated when I was younger and barely spoke to anyone now I realize how hard it must have been for my mom she suffered from depression and tried to kill herself twice um, any positive experiences with your abusers with my brother we always stuck together when our stepfather came into the picture we had each other's backs and taught ourselves how to ride a bike This makes it so hard to think about sexual stuff that happened, uh, that it was abuse. Now we still talk, but I've never uh, brung up anything about the past. Um, Again, this would be a great, great thing. This is what therapists are custom made for, is for you to sort out how you're feeling about that and whether or not you should bring it up with your brother, and if so... Because your opinion on things, you know, a lot of times people may think that they were willing participants and they start talking about something and maybe a detail of it comes back where you realize there was coercion or maybe there wasn't or who knows. But talking about it with somebody who's safe and equipped to deal with the nuance of something so intense um, is, is just highly, highly recommended. Uh, darkest thoughts i think about women all the time when i think about sex i'm doing it with a woman i don't know if this counts as being a lesbian i've never allowed myself to actually meet anyone man or woman to have feelings towards um, emotionally i don't exist i want to run my car off a bridge into a river i want to be awake and stuck when the water rises above my head and i can no longer breathe i want to fight against it but fail and just go into a euphoria where everything is bliss before i die that is one of the most I don't even know the word to describe it but the most I don't know what the awful some descriptions of suicide it's so beautifully sad um I wish somebody was there to give you a hug right now because you sound like you're in so much pain. You sound like you're in so much pain. And then, uh, oh, and the other thing that happened was her grandmother died um, in front of her. And uh, her mom had had, uh, left them to be babysat by her grandmother. And uh, her grandmother died while her mom was away. And for three days, they were there at... uh, she was two years old. And uh what if anything do you wish for? She says to go back to when my grand died and see her dead body. I want to see what lifeless eyes look like and how cold you get. Um Thank you for sharing all of that stuff. Sending you some love. And then this the the last of the uh the last of the trilogy of fun. Of our fun incest romps, that ah, fucking that word was used by the New York Post. Uh, you know when one of those um, teacher stories came out, you know, twenty-four year old teacher and a fourteen year old boy, and they called it a sex romp. That didn't make me angry. Um, I I wanted to read this one because I think this one is um, just so textbook in how her sexuality. Um, responded to the to the uh, to the abuse uh she calls herself lost girl two thousand and nine she's straight she's in her twenties she was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. she says that uh, some stuff happened but she doesn't know if it counts as sexual abuse. this to me fucking clearly is uh she writes my brother is about ten years older than me that off the bat is yeah hands down that's sexual abuse um on many nights. Many accounts he made me feel uncomfortable. For instance, when I was still in elementary school, I walked into my brother's room and saw him masturbating. At the time, I had no idea what I was witnessing. At first, he yelled at me and told me to leave. Then he got up and pulled my hand down to where his hand was and told me to slowly move it back and forth. He then pushed me out of his room. A few years later, when he moved out of his room and into a new one, I got his old room. A few months later, he came back either drunk or stoned. I was asleep in my new room. I awoke to a sweaty mass on top of me. It was my brother, nude. His genitals were on my stomach and I could feel that it was hard. He then moved his hand to my pants. His friend walked in and pulled him off of me and led my brother to his own room. Um, She writes that she's been emotionally abused, but she doesn't specify. Um, Darkest thoughts. uh, I like to watch brother-sister porn and touch myself to it. Uh, darkest Secrets. To this day, I've never told anyone about my older brother abusing me at such a young age. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I have a fantasy to be raped by my brother. It gets me off to think about it. However, it would never be something I would actually want to happen. I am very scared to share this. And I just want you, I I want you to know that you are not alone in that. And that is the fucked up weird way that our brains respond to sexual trauma. Um, anything you'd like to s- say to someone you haven't been able to I would like to confront my brother about the sexual abuse and tell my mother Uh, what if anything do you wish for that the sexual abuse had never happened have you shared these things with others I've never shared these things not even with my therapist because it is because it is scary to see her reaction I encourage you with all my might to share this with your therapist because your therapist cannot fully do what you're paying your therapist to do without all the information. And your therapist is not going to judge you. If anything, your therapist is gonna have even more compassion for you and that little girl that you were that, that had no say, no voice, no choice in the matter. And um, you've gotta let it out. Cause it's, it's gonna come out one way or another You know, it comes out through eating disorders or self-harm or isolation or promiscuity or obsessive pornography watching. So why not have it come out in a healthy way in the room with your therapist? All right, I'm down off my soapbox. This is an awful-some moment filled out. Hold on one second. Let me mute the uh, theme song. This is filled out by... um, Moot Cup and uh, it's an awful moment and she writes uh, I was listening to the podcast while waiting uh, at my bus stop in front of a B- a Barnes and & Noble and noticed a little kid in the window was staring at me I started making faces at her through the window and she was laughing and screaming on the armchair she was in just as I was about to walk away I made one last face and she jumped up lost her footing and fell off the chair She immediately started crying and her mom rushed over and I just quietly turned around and pretended that I was never involved. It was so silly, but it made me laugh and I also feel like a jerk. That is fantastic. And Moot Cup is the um, woman, by the way, that um, came up to me after I spoke at Johns Hopkins University and uh, we correspond now through email and she is... uh, she is healing, and um, it, it is one of my favorite things in the world: is getting updates from somebody that is getting help and seeing seeing them heal, reading it in their words, and and um, just feeling it come through the through the computer screen. And um, she's going to help a lot of people. This is from a shame and secret survey. And um, this was only partially filled out, but I, I wanted to read this. this. This guy calls himself, "Woe was me, but seriously, I suck. He is uh, bisexual in his 20s, raised in a stable and safe environment. Um, uh, never been sexually abused. Not sure if he's been emotionally abused. He writes, I've always felt inferior and the laughing stock of others. Most of my childhood friends exploited me and kind of bullied me, and I didn't know what to make of it at the time. Se- skipped several years, and I ended up in high school, heartbroken, suicidal, and with a psychopath as a best friend. He almost drove me to insanity, but all that's in the past now. I was later diagnosed with OCD and chronic depression. I used to be A people pleaser and a doormat for everybody. At the moment, I've got a couple of hobbies and hopes for the future, good friends, and what seems to be early stage alcoholism. It's so incongruent. Life has never looked brighter, and I'm shooting heroin underneath my toenails, Uh, Darkest thoughts. I'm a submissive guy. My deepest fantasies involve me being abused by others. Power play, degradation, you name it. I love the notion of me being under the total control of a woman. I feel like a sick pervert oftentimes, but there's really nothing I can do about it. I've had thoughts like that since I was in elementary school. Add to that my macrophilia, which is being attracted to women of Godzilla proportions, wrecking havoc. And you've got a guy feeling really shitty and ridiculous with the hand he was dealt when it comes to sexuality darkest secrets. I've come close to killing myself many times, having a crush on my best friend of the same sex all throughout high school, being a virgin in my 20s due to my overwhelming insecurities, an infernal body image, low self-esteem, and ridiculously weird sexuality of which I'm ashamed. You have nothing to be ashamed about with your sexuality. There is somebody out there who would love to role play with you. It's just a matter of finding them. I don't know what channels to suggest you go through it, but the things that turn you on don't hurt anybody and sound perfectly healthy to me. And I say, fucking embrace it. But you might want to look into the, um, keep an eye on the alcoholism. And uh, if it starts to interfere with your life, get help for that because uh, that, that will shit all over everything else. That I know. Trust me. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself breezy. And uh, she is straight. She's in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, Um, never been sexually abused, never been emotionally or physically abused. Darkest thoughts. When I think about what thoughts I wouldn't want people to hear, it would be the deep self-loathing that comes throughout the day, the feelings of worthlessness and failure. I would also be ashamed if people knew how much I wanted everyone to like me. It is to a pathetic extent. I wish for every passing person uh, to people I rather dislike to feel positive about me. It's pathetic and it makes me act spineless in fear some action will upset someone. It makes me incredibly non-confrontational and a doormat. I can tell you that 90% of us hearing this are going, me too, and I'm one of them. Uh, Darkest Secrets. Only my husband knows that I am still entrenched with my eating disorder struggle. My parents must think it was an adolescent phase that passed, or if they suspect not, they don't have the tools to know how to ask. I have a small group of very close friends that I trust and love that do not know about this dark part of me that encompasses most of my thoughts. Even my husband, who is incredibly supportive and loving, is unaware of the extent to which I struggle. I feel like a loser, now an adult, still consumed with this disorder I've had for as long as I have memories. This disorder has that uh, the stigma of passing when you're no longer a teen. It has been so long now, I've pretty much accepted it as incurable. All I want now is to know why. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would just like to be able to tell anyone what I really feel in everyday interactions. I would like to be able to verbally address coworkers when they undermine or take advantage of me. I become so paralyzed when I w- want to address something not pleasant. It really becomes physically impossible for the words to come. Uh, what if anything and, and, and I just want to say that is completely tied to your eating disorder. Your until you develop tools that your eating disorder is how you manage those feelings. That is your way of expressing that frustration, that anger, that humiliation, all of those negative emotions. So why not? get into some type of recovery program so you can find ways to say, excuse me, would you mind not doing that? Um, That makes me feel uncomfortable. Or, um, you know, this is the third time in a row that we've agreed to meet at this time and each time you've been late, that kind of hurts my feelings. If you can learn to begin to express yourself that way, I guarantee you the urge to binge or purge or starve yourself will decrease if not go away. Um, but it, she writes, what if anything do you wish for? I, I want to know why I am the way I am. I think, in my opinion, you, it, it was expressed in that previous paragraph. It's because you don't know how to advocate for yourself. You You haven't developed the tools yet. It's not that you're incapable of it. You're perfectly capable of it. You just haven't got up, gone out, and done it. And a support group would be a great place for you to do it. She writes, I want to stop caring so much what people think. There there are so many. Go talk to a therapist about this and have them. They will find an eating disorder support group for you to, to go to. Um, and then this one just kind of is so sweet and also kind of breaks my heart. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? She writes, No, I'm realizing at this moment that after all these years, I'm practically still that four-year-old girl that peed my chair in preschool because I was too shy to raise my hand to ask where the bathroom was. I'm still that kindergartner that picked out one book at the book fair because the librarian told us to pick out several books each and I didn't know how many several was and was too shy to ask. You sound like such a sweet sweet person and it's time to claim your power wow that sounded like i'm some fucking tony robbins or something stand up girl this is an awful moment filled out by um th- this is a one that we've read on the podcast before but i'm starting to dip into into previous ones um uh This is filled out by, she calls herself, Soon. And she writes, I was having a long text conversation with a guy I had been sleeping with, but we were not officially a couple. He was telling me he trusted me more than anyone in his life and wanted to finally tell me something he'd been wanting to say for days. I was convinced this was it. He was admitting he loved me. After six months, and we could be together. I was giddy and excited. But what he sent next was, I have pus coming out of the tip of my penis, and it's really scary. Is that always bad? I wanted to smash my face into my desk and scream. But instead I laughed, shook my head, and sent, Yes, go to the doctor. Fantastic. This is just a an excerpt I wanted to read from um Strawberry Jam's Shame and Secret survey. Darkest Secret, she writes My spouse is an alcoholic. No one knows but me. He becomes paranoid when he drinks and tries to isolate me from the few human friends I have. I want to leave him, but I am afraid that if I do, he will drink himself to death or die in some other way. And I just want to say that is on him. Nobody can make anybody stay in a relationship. You choose to stay in a relationship and people that are suicidal, you can... What you can do is you can say, um, here are the ways that you can get help for your alcoholism. And if you do not begin doing these things, I am leaving. And that is all you have control over. Whether or not he begins to seek help is up to him. But you can walk away with a clear conscience uh, once you've let him know what your, what your needs are. Your needs are not being met and in, in your relationship. Him And you deserve better. You deserve somebody that wants to get better. You know, it would be a different story if he was working his ass off. You know, he was in a support group for his alcoholism. He was in therapy. Uh, You know, he was being helpful around the house. You know, then that might be a, well, you know, do you need to be more patient? This guy is at zero out of a hundred and he sounds fucking toxic. I say not only get the fuck out of there, but burn rubber. I say you trade your car in for a 60s muscle car and you fucking heat those, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a tire size, 60s, isn't that a big, big wide tire? This is Shame and Secret Survey and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Miss Anthrope and she's bisexual in her 40s raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, but she's been emotionally abused. She writes, my mother seems to be a textbook narcissist from what I've read. My father is the classic enabler. I just cut off all contact with them a month ago. Part of me feels guilty, but most of me is jumping up and down with joy. Fuck them. Any positive experiences with your abusers? No, fuck it. I'm done. I understand I was never loved by my parents. Darkest thoughts. I cannot wait until my children go to college and I can leave this earth as I know it. I'm not talking about committing suicide. I mean, I will start walking the earth, living off my savings, and I won't make any attempt to try to fit in with society anymore. Um, Darkest secrets. I was a high-class prostitute in New York City in the late 90s. Loved it loved sex, was treated well by my wealthy clients. I see escort work as a feminist right if you do it for the right reasons. My reasons were A, I loved sex and B, I wanted the money. It was an honest job. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I fantasize that I am a man and I am fucking reluctant but ultimately consensual women. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I usually say exactly what I want to. However, uh, what I want to, to whoever, which often alienates me from others, so I suppose I should attempt some tact. What, if anything, do you wish for? A way to keep my sanity among the hypocrites in my life until my kids go to college, and then I don't have to conform anymore. I can go off on my own and truly be myself. Have you shared these things with others? No. Don't want to scare my kids. They're good people. I owe it to them to be here until they leave for college. After they leave, I'll still be here for them, just perhaps not in the home in which they grew up, but I'll be here. I am mama bear, and they know I'm in their corner. If nothing else, at least I've done that right with my life. How do you feel after writing these things down? Good. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Most people suck. Be yourself. Stick by your kids. Even if you make a ton of mistakes, just own up to them. Let your kids know when you make mistakes. Then, after the kids leave, fuck the world. Do what you want. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, This is an awful some moment. uh, And this is is from uh, the, this is a previous one that we've read before, but I, I like this one. And this is filled out by, she calls herself Jay Monkey. And she writes, I had a guy wheel out on me once. Seriously. He was riding his bike and got hit by a car and broke his pelvis. I bathed, fed, and housed him. We'd already been dating for two years and had one of those, I don't want to be your boyfriend, but I'll still have sex with you relationships. He was a scooter riding, tight shirt wearing, quadrophenia jerk off. But I was addicted to him. So I bathed, fed, and housed him when he got hit seeing as he'd have to be in a wheelchair for three months. Then one night, after many unanswered pages, she writes, this is dating me, he rolled in at about 3 a.m. I said nothing, but grabbed his crutches and rolled out. Um, I grabbed, I said nothing, but grabbed his crutches and rolled out. Not a word. I stood, oh, he said nothing, uh, but grabbed his crutches and rolled out. Not a word. I stood there dumbfounded. I ran after him down the alley, daggers in my eyes. There was a cab waiting for him with a girl in it. The fucker was cheating on me in a wheelchair. I stood at the door of the cab. He rolled down the window and simply said, don't get crazy. And then finally, a beautifully subtle happy moment from KJ. And, um, She writes, "Um, I was reading The Awakening by Kate uh, Chopin, I assume it's C-H-O-P-I-N, for a lit class I would be taking in the fall semester. And I read it while I was submerged in the tub and let all the beach images and the deep sense of searching and openness sort of wash over me. As I could hear the sounds from outside guys drinking and talking outside the bodega on the corner and the bass from the music blasting from people's cars. There's something about hearing life surge on around me that feels very safe to me and very connected. I was alone in this memory but part of me but part of why I like the moment was the feeling of connection to the story and to the people outside and to the area. I was originally from Brooklyn but moved at a young age. Still maybe due to being a person of color there is an easy sense of connection there that I don't find where I grew up and live currently. It feels like I get to fit in the picture of New York, and the va- and the picture is vast and pulsing with life and energy. Well, I couldn't have read that more awkwardly, but uh, I just love the, the picture that, that she painted, and I love that feeling too. I love that feeling of life kind of bustling around me and and the feeling that I'm not three steps behind the universe that I'm, that I'm in sync with it. And I'm uh, like, you know, like the bus hasn't left, like I cut up and I just managed to get my foot in the, in the door as the bus is, is pulling away. And, um, I just think she'd capture that, that, that feeling beautifully of, of belonging in a really quiet, still way. I love those moments. Well, um, if you're out there and you're still struggling, I hope I hope this episode gave you a little bit of hope or at the very least reminded you that you're not alone. Um, you don't ever have to be alone. There's always somebody that feels like you do inside and um, to just keep plodding through even if the days are gray and there doesn't seem to be hope in sight. You'd be surprised uh, what forms hope hope can come in. And um thanks for all your love and support. And uh, thanks for listening.
1: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know in some weird beautiful. beautifully Everybody fucked, up in, know weird weird. Beautifully fucked up, up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.